Hey, welcome back, or welcome if you're just joining us on Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. So glad you could join us. The number is 303-873-1935. This is the program where we love to take your calls about God, about the Lord Jesus, about uh, the Bible, about world views and world religions. And of course, you can call me at 303-873-1935 with questions like, how do we even know that Jesus existed? And what do the early non-Christian writings say about Jesus? Could the New Testament account of Jesus be just an exaggeration? What did Jesus look like? Does the Bible teach that Jesus is in fact God? You know, there was a couple of stories that I wanted to get to as well. 303-873-1935. I've been talking a little bit about the digital currency issue and the fact that India has made plans to launch a government-backed blockchain digital rupee that's their currency they made the announcement last week the finance mr minister of india made that and said that the move would strengthen the 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 country's online economy what i'm interested in thinking or seeing is whether or not they're going to retain the rupee itself um how this is going to roll out i can't imagine a country with more than a billion people that they just abandoned hard currency, if you will. And I, and I use the term hard currency loosely because the rupee is of course only backed by the full faith and credit of the Indian government. But their finance minister has said introduction of a central bank digital currency will give a boost to digital economy. So they're laying the groundwork the infrastructure for a digital currency. And according to this uh, person in India, he believes that digital currency will lead to a more efficient and cheaper currency management system. And so they're proposing to introduce the digital rupee using blockchain and other technologies, listen carefully, that are going to be issued by the Reserve Bank of India starting this year. India's digital currency would likely rank as one of the most notable in the world, along with China. So this is, yeah, things are starting to unfold. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Kelly, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hey, you're welcome. Is this um, Gino Geraci's show? This is Gino Geraci, oh, okay. yes. Okay, <laughs> I thought you were talking about currency. I oh, was talking um, about I'm... currency. <laughs> okay. Um, I have a question that a co-worker asked me about today, and I had no idea. And okay. She asked me if um, Lucifer was in love with Lilith, why would God take, him, uh, take her away? And I've never even heard of Lilith. So I right. just wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, what you need to say is that person's been watching too much TV. Now, there are okay. legends that Adam had a wife before Eve named Lilith, but that's not found in the Bible. In other words, this is an extra-biblical legend. Now, there are legends that are very, very old, and they are different. I've, different people have different versions of the legend, but they all basically say that there was this person um, named Lilith, and that Lilith left Adam before 
because she didn't want to submit to him. And according to the legends, Lilith, think of evil, wicked woman who commits adultery with Satan and then produces a race of evil creatures. Here's the deal. None of it is true. There is no Lilith. There, she didn't have sex with Satan and produce evil offspring. Now, the way that I would put this is there's, again, no biblical support whatsoever. Now, there is a passage in the Bible that sometimes pointed to as evidence for Lilith, and that's in Isaiah, okay? In Isaiah 34, 14, there's this strange passage that says, And wild animals shall meet with hyenas, the wild goat shall cry to his fellow. Indeed, the night bird settles and finds for herself a resting place. The, the NRSV says, Here too Lilith shall repose, um, or this night bird. So it could be a, just a bad translation. Because the night creature could also be a screech owl. Now, again, is there some sort of connection, at least in mythology, um, that the screech owl is somehow associated with demon monsters named Lilith? But, again, Adam is nowhere hinted at in that passage. There's no connection to uh, the book of Genesis— Another commonly used support for Lilith is what some people suggest is a different creation account in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now, I don't believe that there's a different creation account. What I think is happening is there's a creation account in chapter 1, and then it focuses on a certain part of that creation account in chapter 2. And so in their way of thinking... They think that the they claim that the woman in Genesis one is Lilith and the woman in Genesis two is Eve, but that's ludicrous. It's absurd. So to answer your question, the answer is it's a bunch of hooey. The Lilith movement <laughs> is popular now because some radical feminist movements really enjoy. Lilith as an example of an independent, proud woman who's on her own, who doesn't have to submit to male headship. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense because I didn't know what to tell her, and I was just like, oh, I've never even heard of that. So. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Now, <laughs> Lilith is popular, popular in um, the popular culture. I mean, it, if you... Th- Take any television show uh, that features Lilith, um, they they go back for a very long time. So people have drawn on this mythology for a very long time. Mm. So, yeah, it... If you want to know more, there's, there's... We have an article posted at gotquestions.org. So it, in the in the event that she asks you again, just go to Got Questions, type in who is Lilith, L-I-L-I-T-H, or there's an alternate spelling of L-I-L-L-I-T-H, and just say, hey, if you want to know about Lilith, go to gotquestions.org, type in, hey, who is Lilith? <laughs> right. Okay. 
Yeah, because we tried to do that yesterday and it's found a lot in the Hebrew Bible, it says, and I just was lost. So, yeah, you. the answer is no, it is not found a lot in the Hebrew Bible. It It is found in one place and it's translated a screech owl. Okay. <laughs> so. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. 303 873 1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the air. Now, again, part, there's different streams of legend surrounding this mythical person, both in Mesopotamia and in Judaic mythology. And alternatively, she's the first wife of Adam, supposedly a primordial she-demon who's banished from the Garden of Eden for not complying and obeying Adam. And of course, I suspect that there's quite literally nothing to it. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Numbers 303-873-1935. I'd like to join me on the program. 303-873-1935. So many amazing stories in the news. One that's posted at um, faithwire.com is has this headline. It's remarkable. It says a teen boldly leads the entire tribe to Jesus in one of the world's most dangerous countries for Christians. That country? Pakistan. A Pakistani teenager has reportedly led her entire tribe to embrace Jesus in a remarkable story that was shared this week by Mission News Network. According to Mission News Network, this 17-year-old girl going by the pseudonym Rahan, for security reasons, was working as a waiter when he met Safdar, a truck driver and partner with a missions group called FMI. Safdar gave Rahan an audio Bible after they met, and the teen listened. Then he started... uh, So it's... I'm trying to see if this is a, a young lady or a, it's a it's a Pakistani teenager. So it doesn't say male or female. So I, I guess I'm left with the impression that it might be a young man. So it says that um, Safdar gave Rahan an audio Bible after they met. The teen listened. Then he started meeting with Safdar to talk about God and the Bible and soon he became a Christian, and then he was baptized, according to Mission News Network. But that's not the end of the story. Apparently, Rahan started sharing the gospel message first with his family, and then with people in the community. Now, again, this is pretty impressive when you consider the intense persecution that Christians face in Pakistan. These actions were dangerous. And so I think it's safe to say courageous. At first, Rahan's parents were, who were 
receptive to the gospel, they were frightened because he, uh, but he reportedly just kept on. And a man named Nehemiah, who works for um, FMI, explained that Rahan wasn't dissuaded. He invited missionaries to minister to his tribe and share the gospel, and the results were incredible. Rahan's 60-person tribe reportedly stopped participating in Muslim prayer, and they turned to Jesus. And I'm quoting, it says, quote, One evening he gathered all the tribe's mem- members under a big tent. First, Rahan showed a movie about Jesus, Nehemiah told MNN. Then an FMI partner shared a 15-minute devotion about New Hope in in Jesus Christ. That day, a 17-year-old boy led the whole tribe to the Lord Jesus. Now the mission group asks for prayers for this tribe and other people in the region. This is remarkable. The story is especially amazing when you consider the hostility and the persecution in Pakistan. Open Doors 2020 watch list, which I've talked about over the last several weeks, notes that Pakistan is one of the most dangerous countries in the world if you're a Christian. The nation ranks number eight on the list with Islamic oppression serving as the primary form of persecution. Open Doors said, quote, in Pakistan, Christians are considered second-class citizens. They're discriminated against in every aspect of life. It further reports, quote, church leaders can be arrested if they don't abide by authorities' wishes. These arrests act as warnings to the Christian minority and intimidates them further. Now, what's interesting even about that statement, that the Christian leaders can be arrested if they don't abide by the authorities' wishes. We see what's happening all around in different places. We're in Canada. Elderly men and some less than elderly men were arrested for providing gasoline to the truckers who were protesting in Canada. As Faithwire reported, there are horrific examples of mistreatment and abuse in Pakistan, including a teenager who was abducted, forcibly converted to Islam, and then forced to have numerous abortions. A Christian nurse also reported facing abuse. Her crime, she disagreed with a Muslim co-worker. And again, these stories don't even scratch the surface of the repeated problems that Christians in Pakistan are facing. So again, we've talked a little bit about what's going on in North Korea. We've been talking a little bit about what's going on in China. And, of course, there's a growing group who have said, you know what, I'm not going to support the Chinese communist government. I don't know about you, but I've made the decision that watching the Winter Olympics is probably not a good idea because, again, 
there is this government hostility towards Christians and Christianity. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. It's interesting, too, my friend Franklin Graham is referring to our Canadian friends, the Canadian truckers, the freedom uh, that we talked a little bit earlier um, last week and this week. But uh, Franklin said, pray for our neighbors to the north. He said, freedom is precious. Again, he's talking about, he said that um, he, he was making comments over the Canadian provinces of Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Quebec. Apparently, this this protest is working because the provinces are moving to lift their COVID restrictions as a convoy of protesting truckers continue to block major roads on the U.S.-Canadian border. And, of course, I suspect that there's hundreds of millions of dollars that are being lost. 303-873-1935. Hey, Jim, you know what? Homeland Security is reporting that American truckers might do the same by blockading the Super Bowl. Yeah, I want to watch the Super Bowl. So if I were going to tell them, if you want to blockade somewhere, go blockade up in Boulder. Block Boulder. Boulder is 15 miles surrounded by reality. I'm just teasing just a little bit. I'm not suggesting we blockade Boulder, and I'm certainly not suggesting that we figure out a way for the Super Bowl not to take place. But again, as you know, Jim, this is not a sports program. But my plan is to watch. Is your plan to watch, Jim, the Super Bowl? Do you have do you have a dog in the hunt? Do, do you have a team that you're rooting for? So you're just looking for two great teams to do the best that they can and enjoy the game. Me too. So... 10-mile backup of trucks causing 12-hour delays at Ambassador Bridge. Don't want to see that happen in Los Angeles. I thought it was hundreds of millions, according to one news outlet. $323 million in goods cross the bridge daily. That's pretty remarkable. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Um, Lonnie, welcome to the program. Hi, Gino. Hi. Uh, um, My husband and I were talking, and we were trying to... Remember um, how many of the unclean birds and how many birds were taken on Noah's Ark, and why did Noah release a raven first? Well, to to answer your your first question, how many birds? Again, there there seems to be kinds, and 
so all of the species that are in, in, in existence right at this very moment, it's possible that speciation in the sense of the kinds uh, like finches, you, you, that there's what some people would say is a different species um, might have emerged after the flood. But to make a long story short, you have a group of clean birds and unclean birds. And right. the the clean birds, obviously, according to um, the the book of Genesis, that in in chapter six and chapter seven, they talk about um, seven pairs of clean. So it says seven sevens. So apparently, these are breeding pairs. And and to your question about sending out the birds, the first bird is the raven. And you'll remember mm -hmm. in, in chapter 8, it talks about how it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. So the Hebrew expression that says the raven flew back and forth repeatedly, the Hebrew text doesn't explicitly rule out the possibility that the raven later returned, but the Septuagint is a little more explicit. It talks about how it went forth and did not return the idea being that the raven is a scavenger bird, so it could easily find food rotting carcasses in the floodwaters. There was no need for it to return to the ark because it could rest on mountaintops. There's decaying, rotting um, life forms that it could easily feed on, and so that's why. Okay. But was there any logic uh, in the Septuagint about why Noah released the raven first, or did he? Wait I just think it because it becomes a, a type and a picture, if you will, of information. Um, are there still rotting, bloated carcasses floating around? Is it safe to come out? The point being, it's not safe to t come out because if the raven doesn't return, Noah could come come to the conclusion two things that there's a substantial amount of land that's been exposed so that the raven could find a resting place and then provide information about whether the rest of the ark passengers could safely disembark. And because they can't safely disembark at this point, um, it's not time to disembark. Good point. Okay. Thanks for clearing that up for us. Isn't that interesting? Very. Hey, thank you for your call. You're welcome, and thank you for your answer. <laughs> thank you. 303-873-1935, that's the number. And uh, what's interesting about that call and the caller, you know, obviously you see this raven released in Chapter 8. A dove is released at the middle of Chapter 8. And we get further information. By the way, 303-873-1935 is my number if you want to join me on the program. Noah sends out a dove to see if the waters had receded from the surface of the ground. That's what it says in the text. So the dove and the pigeon are members of a certain kind of bird family. Dove is a term for the smaller species and pigeon for the larger species, but they're fairly interchangeable. So the, the dove is used as a positive symbol in the Bible, depicting youth and love and innocence. And of course, Jesus at Jesus's baptism, you'll remember, 
the Holy Spirit descends on him, according to the text, in bodily form, it says, using the illustration, like a dove. (coughs) Excuse me. Doves and pigeons have really strong flight muscles, which are about a third of their weight. So they're powerful. They can fly, and the Bible hints at that in Psalm 55, 6, and Isaiah 60, verse 8. And so combined with their maneuverability, they can cover a long range in a day, but they don't normally eat like the raven. They don't eat rotting carcasses. They prefer valleys to mountains and, of course, dry, clean places for nesting. And so the first time the dove is sent out, it doesn't find food and it doesn't find a place to nest. Matter of fact, the text says, found no place to set her foot. So the dove returns to Noah's outstretched hand and Noah brings it back inside the ark. And so the timing of the doves was a, was one week apart, and the first was sent a week after the raven, again, which shows Noah's patient, patience despite his likely desire. He, he, I suspect he's ready to get off the boat. 303-873-1935, and going on, of course, the second time Noah sends out the dove, maybe he even sends out the very same dove. But by the time it returns, it says in the evening, implying that it had been out maybe a lot longer. But this time it had a freshly plucked olive leaf in its mouth. And by the way, that passage of scripture serves as the symbol for the United Nations in part. Isn't that interesting? A a dove with an olive branch. And so Noah comes to the decision that the waters have specifically and sufficiently receded enough. Now it is true that olives can sprout from wet ground. Again, doves won't nest on wet ground and the trees aren't sufficiently large enough to nest, so the ground may not yet be enough for disembarkation. So a week later, Noah sends out another dove. This time the dove does not return. So there was food for the dove, there was a place for the dove to rest and nest, and that became the signal that it's almost time to leave. So in Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 24, Paul uses the olive tree and its ability to propagate via grafting as this powerful symbol. Remember, the Gentiles are wild olive shoots being grafted into the church alongside the Jewish believers. So now we're all the way back to an earlier question that was at the beginning of our program by um, Ernie. You know, when we're talking about this relationship between Jew and Gentile and God's plan and purpose for Israel and God's plan and purpose for a church. 
And by the way, when it comes to the mating instinct, animals have a knack of finding their mate somehow. There's lots of ways that God has designed creatures to respond, sight, sound, pheromones. Ravens, that carrion bird, actually mate for life. And because they can eat almost anything, they don't have to go very far. And I know, uh, Jimbo, Jim, you might be familiar with our friends, the uh, bird guys, the bird talk dudes on our sister station, KNUS. Yeah. So these guys are like a wealth of knowledge. They, they, they know all of this stuff. But what's interesting is when they're talking about all of this interesting stuff, it has interesting application to the birds that are mentioned in the Bible. So, my friends at Bird Talk, thank you. This is Gino Geraci, 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. One of the questions that we have is, what is deconstruction, or is it a valid way to interpret the Bible and there is a um, an interesting article that's been posted at Faithwire where skillet frontman John Cooper says it's time to declare war against deconstruction. He basically said it's a it's a it's time that we declare war against this deconstruction Christian movement and he posted on a new new TikTok video he says, I don't even like calling it deconstruction Christian. There's nothing Christian about it. It's a false religion. And um, so, you know, for many people, they're, they're asking, well, what do you mean by that? What does that mean? Um, that What does it mean when people say they're deconstructing their faith? or they're looking at the Bible in a deconstructive manner. So deconstruction is the heading that most recently applies to a process of questioning, doubting, ultimately rejecting aspects of the Christian faith. And we have an article at gotquestions.org, your questions, biblical answers. And so again, when you hear a phrase like that, deconstruction, what does that mean? At our article site, this is an application of this idea of deconstructionism. So we've got several articles, including on deconstructionism, which is an approach that claims to disassemble beliefs or ideas while assuming their meanings are inherently subjective. So both the trend and the title reflect a backlash against the unfortunate habit within some religious circles to downplay deep questions and ignore those who hold them. So to openly investigate the nuances of belief, even changing one's convictions is a biblical concept. So in practice, though, deconstruction almost always acts as a polite, a polite cover for demolition. So modern deconstruction usually means replacing uncomfortable tenets with culturally or personally popular ideas. 
most of these things really are surrounded by a couple of things, the existence of God and the goodness of God. And so, as you can imagine, when people attack the concept of God or they attack the goodness of God, they they suggest that the Bible presents God as some sort of tribal deity who um, places, as one person said today, who is an atheist, that he puts innocent people in hell. Now, again, what this atheist doesn't understand is innocence or even the concept of punishment from a biblical standpoint. A fundamental belief in biblical Christianity is that of man's limited understanding compared to God's unlimited understanding. And Scripture will talk about that often, like in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, where many of you who are listening right now, you know that passage by heart, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So Scripture teaches this truth indirectly, noting how sincere Christians often come to different conclusions. The Bible says that we can be stubborn and interpret his will wrongly. John five thirty nine. Jesus speaking to the religious leaders said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. I want you to pause and consider that. There are people who search the scriptures, but as they search the scriptures, they don't come to the conclusion that the identity and mission of Jesus is somehow disconnected from those scriptures. And when Jesus is talking about the scriptures here, he's talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He's talking about the Old Testament revelation. So this doesn't mean everything is subject to opinion, Rather, it means everything should be open to sincere questions. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you, Jesus said. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Imagine Jesus issuing that invitation, saying, it's okay for you to ask. It's okay for you to seek. It's okay for you to pound on the door of inquiry when it comes to these most important things. How can I be saved? How can I have my sins forgiven? So deconstruction claims to explore these issues, although its ultimate motivation is often not to understand, but to undermine So Scripture commands each person to scrutinize his or her faith. That includes fact-checking. Acts 17.11, 
Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. (laughs) Ronald Reagan said, trust, but verify. So check your facts. It's okay to engage in thoughtful preparation, but in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord, as holy, always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason of the hope that's within you. Reasonable skepticism. What does that mean? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are people who are saying things that just simply aren't true. And so, too often, churches and church members, they act like a social club while failing to wrestle with the very difficult questions about life and about faith and about suffering So believing we have established every answer beyond all doubt reflects a natural desire for control. And that's why it's important that we remember and that I remember. And I'm constantly saying, you can ask me anything, but that doesn't mean I know the answer. But I'm going to make an effort to at least ask a question, think about a principle and ask and answer the question, what does the Bible say? Remember, it's what led groups like the religious leaders, the Pharisees, to claim that they could define honoring the Sabbath down to how many steps you could take. And if you didn't accept what they said, then you were guilty. Legalism will never, ever be a satisfying solution to to the provision that God has made in grace by Christ. So again, if you get a chance, if you're you're wondering more about this idea of deconstruction and deconstructionism, to say deconstruction means choosing easier beliefs is an oversimplification. So... Lots of great articles that got questions, your questions, biblical answers. This is Gino Geraci. I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, for our free-for-all Friday. Enjoy your evening.